0: Thank Welcome to Running on Ice, the coolest community in freight. I'm your host, Mary O'Connell, bringing you the latest tech updates, warehouse news, and everything that happens in the cold chain world. Not only is there the coolest show in freight, but there's also Running on Ice, the newsletter that could not be colder. You can subscribe to that on freightwaves.com slash running on ice. Before we get into our guest interview, let's get into some headlines. FlexCold is investing $49.9 million for a new cold storage facility in Charleston, South Carolina. This facility is adding almost 60 jobs to the area, and it will be the company's first cold storage facility in South Carolina and the second in the U.S. FlexCold will see a substantial amount of imported goods as well as handle export services for the USDA and FDA, such as inspections, repacking, and cross services. Operations are expected to begin in the late summer of 2024. Frozen food sales are are heating up as consumers look to save on their trips to the grocery store. Conagra brands known for frozen foods like bird's eye, Marie calendars and healthy choice reported that net sales for its refrigerated and frozen food segments jumped 10.5% in its fiscal second quarter to 1.4 billion. There's a lot of trade down. There's a lot of trade down from eating away from home to eating at home and frozen foods are definitely benefiting from that. Wabash is following through on its attempts to smooth out boom and bust cycles in trailer making. It has signed a multi-year deal with J.B. Hunt Transportation that will cover 15,000 trailers over the coming years. The deal is significant and it does help Wabash reduce any uncertainty surrounding customers who place orders and then cancel them when the economic prospects change. That long-term agreement, customers get a strong source for a premium product and also known well-known capacity for multiple years. Jamie Hunt said it can improve the use of its equipment assets would be in the right place at the right time for available drivers. Today we are joined by Jeremy Powers, Strategic Advisor in Internal Affairs at the 357 Company. Welcome to the show, Jeremy.
1: Hi, Mary. Thanks for having me.
0: I am very excited to talk to you today. We're kind of getting into all of those, you know, final mile, but with a twist because final mile is already kind of t- tricky. Um, but when you add in the fact that something has to be kept at a controlled temperature, it gets a little trickier. Uh, so why don't you give us a brief rundown on your background?
1: Yeah. So thanks again for having me. Um, My background, like, a lot of people in logistics. I fell into logistics. I didn't really plan on getting into logistics. I um, was, it's, it's a really common story. I was in college. I was working part-time um, unloading trucks uh, for a, a freight forwarder and uh, lo and behold, that freight forwarder took a chance on me and hired me straight out of college. Um, it's a forwarder called ALG, Worldwide Logistics. They're based in Chicago. mid mid-sized global forwarder, but I was really fortunate to learn really all aspects of the business from them, everything from operations to sales to executive management. And that's really where I got my first um, go around on uh, temperature control items. So fast forward a little bit to 2014, I branched off as an independent contractor, started my own uh, independent sales organization and consulting firm specifically to folks who ship temperature controlled goods, whether it be food, pharmaceuticals. Um, and then I was also dealing with a lot of high value type items. I've always liked dealing with uh, the, the niche items, items that are as easy to, to move, if you will. And ultimately how I ended up with uh, three, five, seven is in the summer of 2019 I uh, a longtime friend of mine from the industry, Brandon one of our co-founders uh, put me in touch with our president and other co-founder Kevin the three of us kind of came together we all have pretty unique backgrounds uh, in logistics, everything from CH Robinson Grubhub and uh, Verano and Pharmacan on the medical cannabis side That's that's a lot of really Kevin's background and we just felt like we wanted to form a company that was a little more um, sensitive, I guess you can say. There's a lot of the big brokers out there dealing in mass volumes. Uh, again, nothing wrong with that by any means. We're, we're friends with a lot of those guys. But we wanted something a little more hands-on to deal with niche items and one of the first things we really looked at was with the legalization of hemp in the farm bill of 2018, we saw the need where there was nothing in the supply chain to help them with logistics. So that's really where we got our cut. My background's a lot of, you know, moving food, temperature controlled items. We kind of felt like the two of those could go really nicely together, build some solid SOPs around them. And, We came up with a mission statement of we listen first and then execute. And I I think there's a lot of logistic providers that don't do that well right now, um, where everything's kind of a numbers game and and pushing to just the next load. We kind of treat all of our clients as an individual project, especially considering what it is they're shipping and, and take it from there.
0: Yeah, you guys kind of uh have fallen into that niche category where you can't just, you know, take any kind of shipment, throw it on a van, a dry van and send it off. Like you guys have um those more controlled or heavily monitored or things that come with um extra responsibilities or extra tasks that you might not that any other brokerage might not want to do or might not have the capability to do. So I'm kind of excited that you guys have found that niche um and all the hard, complicated, weird stuff. Um, Because that stuff still has to move too. So it's nice that you guys have kind of like been like, no, this is our thing. We like, we like the unusual things. (laughs) So like how, I guess when it comes to final mile deliveries, what, because it's already challenging, what additional challenges come with keeping something at temperature control? Is it just as simple as, you know, making sure that you have a refrigerated box truck to make those deliveries? Or is it something a little bit more complicated like that?
1: Yeah, always the equipment, you know, we never want to break the cold chain ever, right? So everything from who's producing the food, who's controlling the middle mile, the final mile, which is a lot, you know, where we come in and and there's really two areas of final mile. We do B2B and we do B2C. B2B is more, um, we get involved with a lot of restaurant chains where let's say you've got a restaurant chain and all of a sudden a few stores run out of bacon for their bake and cheeseburgers. Right. And they're not expected to get another truckload delivery or I shouldn't say truckload, but truck delivery for two to three days. They've got to fulfill those orders. They come to a company like us and we, we execute that. That's I'm not saying simple by any means, but simpler compared to the B2C side. B2C is a little more challenging uh, dealing with residential deliveries. We deal with a lot of food box and meal kit companies. We we run some pretty cool programs for a uh, couple meal kit companies who provide produce and you know fruits and vegetables, healthy items to low income people, as as well as uh, a similar program for veterans, and and those programs are running in multiple states all over the country, um, with. Going to anyone's home, you know, it's not like a typical Amazon delivery. It is food. It's perishable. You don't want to necessarily leave it there. And then you throw the weather in to effect as well, right? Like you're delivering to Texas in the dead of summer. You don't want to leave some nice produce on someone's front porch. We have steps that we take to ensure folks are home. But guess what? They're not actually always home. So we... (laughs) The network to to accomplish these things, um, to, to always keep the cold chain intact, where we do have the ability to bring product back to our hub or our induction points and keep them at temperature uh, to, to do a reattempted delivery. And these are kind of some of the things that we hear from clients where when you use carriers like FedEx, UPS, USPS, they don't necessarily have that ability. So we, we like to keep um, everything within the cold chain.
0: Yeah, I don't see FedEx and UPS um, necessarily swinging back by to pick something up and trying to re-deliver it and maintain that cold chain. Nothing against them. Um, it's just it's not it's not their thing, and they know that it's not their thing, so they don't try to pretend that it's their thing. Um, how much waste do you guys think comes from like improperly stored, like not not with you guys necessarily, but in the in the industry as a whole? How much waste do you think comes from spoiled food or product? that can't be sold or anything like that because that cold chain has been interrupted and you know there's potential for spoilage.
1: Yeah that's that's a really hot issue right now because especially with the rise of of meal kits, right? I mean that's a really common thing and people question that a lot and there's there's limited data on it. I kind of anticipated this question so I put some notes down. I'm going to cheat a little here for a second, but the, the numbers are bad, to, to be honest with you. We've got a study that we found from the National Institute of Health that says 200 to 210 million tons of food waste, that's annually, is a result Yikes. of poor transportation or warehousing.
0: So to say there's a room for improvement in that area would be an understatement because that is a yeah, obscene hard. amount of weight.
1: Obscene, and and then the other layer of that is, um,
0: you know, foodborne
1: illness where where stuff's not maintained at temperature or packaged properly. Uh, we've got a stat on that saying thirty nine to forty percent of foodborne illness cases occur due to pathogen cross contamination uh, during transport. You know, that is that's not production; that's actually during transport.
0: That is absolutely insane because you know there's some stuff that happens during production as well so you can i don't want to say you can double you can double the number but you can significantly add to that just from production errors or anything like that that is i should not have asked that question because <laughs> now it's a little
1: depressing i'll, I'll leave it at that um, I've, I've got more scary stats but I'll, I'll leave it at that we we try as as a 357 company take steps to avoid that stuff we offer a lot of consulting services, especially with some of the meal kit companies that are newer. I've got a lot of experience packaging food items in my past for some really large Fortune 500 type manufacturers. I kind of know what works, what doesn't work as far as packaging, and and the million dollar question is usually cost. You know, it's a lot of times we see folks trying to cut corners on packaging costs, which could result in some of these damages.
0: It's just like. It's because I know that cost is an important factor and you want to keep it reasonable for a consumer to purchase it um, and, you know, continue to participate in it. But it's that is if it's just all packaging, I kind of want to like smack some people together and be like, you're wasting more money potentially on like waste in your in your supply chain than you are just by packaging something correctly.
1: Yeah, you're. A, that's a really good point you bring up because there's concerns too with folks who receive kits and feel like it's it's wasteful for the packaging, right? Like you get these kits, it's a box, a styrofoam insert, some kind of coolant, gel packs, or dry ice, and and you have to dispose of that. And my answer to that is always, it is what works best too. You know, to to keep the food from spoiling, from people getting sick and making sure that the food is actually consumed and not wasted. So it's like you could have waste in two different ways, um, but you're also keeping people healthy.
0: I know. It's kind of like you're, it's one of those, like you're, you're, you're danged if you do. And you're danged if you don't, because it's one of those where it's like, it might not be the most sustainable. It might not be the best alternative, but the only other alternative is someone getting sick or product getting spoiled, which is not a great alternative if I'm being honest. No. Um, so you guys started shipping, um, hemp and some cannabis stuff. How exactly does that work? Cause I know a lot of times with full truckload, if it's a full truckload or a box truck or something else, that's not temperature controlled. There has to be like a security escort and certain permits. Do you guys have something similar like that? Like what are some of the, what are some of the like weird quirks that come with shipping something that's, um, technically illegal in a couple of states still.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's, um, so a couple of things uh, uh, to distinguish is hemp and cannabis or marijuana, right? Like what's, what is the difference? It it really started with us with, with hemp. So if we're talking in the United States, it is now federally legal to ship hemp, which is anything that contains below 0.3 THC. THC is the cannabinoid that's That's psychoactive that gets you high. So the government said, as long as it's under 0.3, that's safe. You're not going to be high from it. You can transport it. Um, Federal illegal doesn't mean it's legal in every state, though, because the states have the right to override it. And that's something we learned very early on. We've written really, really strict SOPs uh, to get through that. Our operations team, uh, JP Mendoza, who is our VP of Ops, he is an absolute expert when it comes to uh, moving hemp and hemp-derived products we're in close contact with state and local law enforcement. We work with the DEA, we work with the USDA, um, to, to manage all those things. There are States that require licensing to go into them or even through them. There's some States that still really frown upon you, even passing through their state with the products. So we tend to know, route those shipments around. So that's more on the domestic side. We, we do things like, um, we do not use LTL carriers. For one, uh, we find that with LTL, uh, you have a lot of loss, a lot of damage, a lot of disappearing product. So everything <laughs> we do do is dedicated.
0: The um, the well, I'm glad that LTL is consistent and it's uh, you know yeah. of keeping it intact.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, That's where obviously my came obviously. Yeah, a hundred percent. So you, 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 understand that. So you take a product like this and add an extra layer to it, um, you know, a lot of times what we see is people think they know they think this is marijuana and it's, they're really disappointed when they find out it's not after they steal it. Um, but it, th- those are things that we've got clients that, that use LTL. We've got some real horror stories. We, we don't do it. Um, we're big on tracking and tracing. We've got a portal to track and trace loads. Um, Our SOPs, like I said, are rock solid. With those SOPs, we also do heavy vetting of the carriers that we do use. There are certain carriers we won't use. There's other carriers that we use on a regular basis. They know us really well. So those things all go. And 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 we always try to take really good care of the drivers too by making sure that they have the proper paperwork. Should they get pulled over, they know the process. Um, and it it always works out in our favor, um, knowing what those rules and and laws are for that
0: matter. I feel like in that kind of instance, you can never really be too prepared or like too like have too much information. Like if everyone is over communicated with from the local police to the DEA, to your drivers, to everyone, like, I feel like in that instance, you can't go wrong by saying, Oh, I have all of this extra, like, here's, way too much information. Have a nice day. Like that just seems like a no brainer.
1: Yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, we, our biggest thing is, as a company is we don't, we don't want surprises for our customers. We, (laughs) We want to pick up the freight. We want it to be seamless, you know, ensure it arrives safely and with no surprises.
0: And I think that's what everybody's dream is, but it is transportation and logistics, so there are surprises. Um, speaking of surprises, have you guys ever had instances where drivers might have been pulled over and um, maybe the police didn't understand something or they've gotten stuck at, like, an inspection spot in, a, in different states? Have you ever had, like, weird situations like that where someone's calling in, you, you have to, like, then call a bunch of other people and be like, no, it's fine. It's not a controlled substance. We're good. <laughs>
1: Yeah, um, it's rare, but it has happened. Um, and thankfully, the outcome has always worked in our favor. We've gotten out of it every time. Um, and, and again, that goes back, that's credit to our operations team. The, the SOPs that we have in place are rock solid. And the relationships that we've built with uh, state law enforcement and the DEA go a really long way. And it's exactly what you said. Some phone calls that need to be made. They know who we are we show our licensing uh, things of that nature lab reports go a long way as well
0: it's like like that's all those little things that like add up in the end to be such a good like a, just a good thing that happens so that way you're not sitting there like because I feel like when especially when um, you know everything's still trying to get legalized and everyone's still unsure of what the difference is between hemp and THC if the like the more you can do upfront, I feel like that just solves a lot of the headaches on the back end because you have these amazing SOPs, but you didn't necessarily learn these SOPs through a lot of failure um, or a lot of errors because that just ultimately makes you guys look bad, your customers look bad. It's just not a good situation. So it's, I don't know, it's kind of refreshing that you guys have. I mean, almost out of necessity, had to go back and create such strong SOPs and um, documentation to make this as seamless as possible for everyone. I'm sure your customers are over the moon, the fact that their trucks aren't getting stopped every five minutes.
1: Yeah, you know, we've, we've landed customers for that exact reason. They've used transportation companies that saw the shiny new object of hemp and cannabis and said, hey, we can do it. And they had no idea how complex it was we're in a really good position too, because, you know, my partner, Kevin, I mentioned comes out of the medical cannabis world. He knows these products so well. Uh, we know what needs to be done with them, how they need to be handled. Um, and that goes a long way with a client as well. Just knowing that we understand what their needs are and we understand what their products are. Um, and, and it's no joke. Um, If a driver is pulled over with product that's considered hot or over 0.3 THC, it's drug trafficking. And the last thing we want to do is ever put a driver in position where he has to go through something like that.
0: Yeah. You don't want to, because that's the fastest way to lose your drivers and also the fastest way to damage a reputation. And suddenly if, even if it's a misunderstanding, if you guys become associated with any sort of drug trafficking, then immediately it's like, what have we all worked for? Yeah. Yeah um exactly. so we are nearing the end of the show and we're doing something a little different um so on the other show that we that I host it's chuck call we have a silly question to kind of end the show a little bit um and so we've decided to bring that over here to this one um so you ready for quite possibly the most ridiculous question you maybe asked uh maybe asked today maybe not um I'm it's gosh. a good one are you ready for it all right. Do you consider do you consider cereal to be a soup? No way. Okay. No way. All right. I All a, right. A simple, simple answer.
1: Would you Would you add milk to soup?
0: I mean, some people do add like heavy whipping cream or half and half to like a cream based soup. So it's <laughs> kind of. I am yeah, no I'm, soup. I'm, I'm like also. I'm also one of the weird people that don't really eat milk with her cereal. Um, pretty much unless it's like. Cocoa Pebbles, I'm not putting milk in there because it makes it all soggy, and I also don't like to drink the milk at the end. It's just not for me. It's not for me.
1: (laughs) I like that question, though. Yeah, I'm a Frosted Flakes guy. That'd that'd be my pick.
0: I absolutely love Frosted Flakes. They are my number two cereal because it's just, there's just something so perfect about a good Frosted Flake, especially when it's like a nice sugar coating on both sides. Perfect.
1: But I'm not putting that in soup.
0: No, Um, I have heard people put, oh wait, no, it's cornflakes, not frosted flakes on top of a casserole. That would be awkward if you put frosted flakes on top of a casserole. Um, If someone wants to reach out about uh, some final mile cold storage, uh, your hot takes on cereal, uh, where can they find you outside of the show?
1: Um, Very active on LinkedIn, uh, myself, whole company, Or um, on our website, 357company.com, and there's a a link on there for a contact us, and uh, that's, that's probably the easiest way, and I believe my LinkedIn profile's on there as well
0: i love it um i'm pretty sure it is because i've definitely peeped it uh but yeah you guys heard it here first if you want to take it to jeremy and um get his hot takes on cereal or anything else you know how to get a hold of them thank you
1: this, all of yeah.
0: <laughs> thank you so much for being on the show today jeremy
1: thank you it was a blast looking forward to it again
0: uh <clears throat> anytime <laughs> Uh, that's going to be most of our show for today. If you want, you can catch other episodes of running on ice right here on freight Waves TV every Friday afternoon. It's a nice way to start your Fridays. You can catch them on YouTube or anywhere else. You get your podcasts like Apple podcasts and Spotify. If you need more running on ice content, don't worry, because right after the show comes out, the week, the biweekly newsletter, Friday edition, will be out, and you can subscribe to that on FreightWaves.com/slash Running On Ice. Don't forget to check out all the other amazing FreightWaves podcasts, such as What the Truck, uh, Point of Sale, and At Your Doorstep. Until next time, I'll see you on the internet.